everybody. Welcome back to the Music Buds podcast. This is episode number 36. And my name is Henry. This week, I'm honored to be joined by composer Debbie Wiseman, known for a massive number of acclaimed projects, including Wolf Hall, Dickensian, Father Brown, uh, Shakespeare and Hathaway, and many others. Debbie, it's so nice to, to meet you. Uh, these shows and, and your music, uh, my whole family has, has loved them for years. So thank you for taking the time. Oh, it's a pleasure. And it's great to hear that you enjoy those shows as well, yeah. because they've been great fun to score. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, uh, first of all, how's life for you these days? Well, we're, we're in a, a kind of lockdown here in London at the moment, which mm. is really tough. You know, um, things are, uh, are not great at the moment, unfortunately, mm. but yeah. we're hoping that, that things will start to improve slowly. Um, rolling out vaccines and hoping that things will start to improve as, as the year progresses. Yeah. But, um, like everybody else, um, in the world, really, we're, we're just, uh, trying to, um, make the best of it and make sure that everybody's safe and everybody's well. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not been, <laughs> it's not been easy. Certainly, you know, for musicians, it's particularly, um, tricky because there are no concerts, performances, that kind of thing. And of course, musicians thrive on that. You know, they yeah, love oh, to yeah. perform. They yeah. love to, they love to share their music. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I guess kind of kicking things off, I was curious, how did you get started in music? Was, uh, was composing something you had always been interested in? Well, I was fascinated by the piano mm. when I was a kid and, um, drawn to it in a way that, you know, where there was a little piano in, in the corner of a, a dining room at one of my, when we went on a little family holiday by the seaside. And, mm. and I wanted to play this instrument. I wanted to learn how the little black and white notes created sound, you know, and created right. chords and harmonies and melodies. And I started to learn the piano when I was about seven and just loved it, got completely obsessed with it. At that stage, I didn't know I wanted to write music, but I knew I wanted to play music. And I, I think I knew quite early on that I wanted to be a musician. I think probably by about the age of nine or 10, I just knew, I just knew that it was a language that I loved and understood. And it felt very natural to me. And the yeah. idea of writing music really just came from the notion of I loved playing other people's music. I loved all the, the classical repertoire that I was learning. But then I found I liked making up my own little tunes and, you know, writing melodies that appealed to me. And I would sit at the piano and try, try out little tunes and ideas. And it just snowballed from there, really. I realized that writing music and writing my own tunes was great fun. You know, this was oh, something yeah. that, that you could do and you could come up with something <laughs> that was your own, you know, that other people might enjoy that they hadn't heard before. And that was exciting. Yeah. Uh, talking about the, the, the musicians who first impacted you, what were some of the ones that you first connected with? Uh, I went through the classical repertoire. So I was mm. playing all the standard masters, Beethoven, Haydn, Mozart, Debussy, Eric Satie. Um, I was you know, I was learning piano music. So I was playing Schubert and Brahms and, you know, I was yeah. going through the standard classical repertoire, but at the same time, I was also loving pop music. 
and, you know, music that, that was just around at the time. And one of the great things that happened to me when I was learning the piano, when I was still quite little, was that a friend of my mum's brought over a book of Beatles songs <laughs> arranged for Tiny Hands. Oh. And so in this book was Yesterday and Eleanor Rigby and all these lovely melodies arranged for little hands. And I was able to play these tunes that, you know, I had heard my parents play and this was music that I loved and enjoyed. And it wasn't just classical repertoire, it was other stuff. And that was great because it made music so much fun. And it wasn't just about scales and arpeggios and learning standard classical repertoire. It was also about playing pop music. And I started to be able to play in little bands and started to write songs, actually, yeah. um, learning about how music and lyrics fitted together. Uh, and it just flowed from there. And so I suppose I was just inspired by the idea of making music, it wasn't really one particular artist or one particular composer. It was just the idea that you could make music with other people. You could yeah. create tunes. You could learn about harmony. Um, and the whole language of music really appealed to me. I wasn't good at other languages at school, like learning French or German mm. or Latin and all that stuff, which we were learning at the time. That didn't come very naturally. But the language of music and those little black dots on the staves... That felt really natural. Yeah. So it was more so like the the cr real creation and community of it. That's exactly that. Kind of that. The, yeah. Exactly that. The idea that through music you could communicate with somebody. You could write a melody. You could write a tune. You could write a song. And you could speak to another person with no language at all. And you could communicate an emotion, a feeling. Mm -hmm. And that's an incredibly powerful thing. And that's the power of music, you know, is that it, it, yeah. it's completely um, universal. You know, it's a language that anyone can understand and it can touch you in the way that nothing else can. And if you create something that touches somebody, it's the most wonderful feeling. You know, I, I just love, love it when somebody might send me an email or a little post on social media and say something like, oh, I really enjoyed your theme for whatever, you know, or mm. I really like this particular piece of music. Can I learn to play it? Or can I, can, have you got the sheet music or where can I get it? Because it means that the music has in some way touched them and they want yeah. to experience it again, either by maybe learning it or sharing it with somebody else. And, and it's a, it's a magical thing, you know, making mm. music and be able to share it with other people. Yeah. And, and, uh, on that topic, I mean, I, I had mentioned it to you at the beginning, but, uh, shows like, uh, Wolf Hall, uh, in, in particular, but also Shakespeare and Hathaway with this past year, having been so tough on, you know, on, on everybody for a variety of reasons, it's helped me and it's really helped my mother who's been dealing with all of this. And I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciate those shows because it's really helped my family get through a lot of dark days. So thank yeah, you. Yeah. Well, that's really, that's really great to hear. Um, because that's what, you know, entertainment, film, theater, TV, music yeah. does, you know, it does help you get through these days. And I think particularly music, um, because you could lose yourself in music. And what I love about, about music is that you can create your own pictures. You can draw your own pictures listening to music. And that's what appealed to me as a composer writing music for film and TV is that you have a picture there to inspire you and you create music that will hopefully add to that, you know, will add another dimension and make it feel complete. 
And that's, that's what really appeals to me about writing for TV and for film. But also when you're listening to music on its own, a standalone piece of music, you can also draw your own pictures. You can paint pictures in your mind. And, and often music does that without you even really noticing that it's doing it. But you might listen to your favorite song. Or you might listen to your favorite classical piece of music. And you might suddenly imagine yourself looking out to sea or in a gorgeous park or on the river or whatever. But it paints a picture in your mind or brings back a lovely memory of a, mm. a time you had, a great moment or... Um, a person, you know, somebody you love, all those things are um, driven by the music that you can hear and enjoy. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, I mean, I feel like music in particular, it's one of those art forms that can, as you just said, it can bring back memory so vividly, you know, it, whether it's the time that you heard it or perhaps it's what the song is discussing that can be so powerful. Exactly. It brings back yeah. a memory of a particular time, a person, a feeling. It's a bit like, I often think the same about a smell, you know, when you yeah. smell somebody's perfume or, or a particular, you know, that again, it, it can immediately resonate mm -hmm. or bring back a memory. And it's the same with music. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, uh, going back a little, so how did you go from, you know, enjoying music and, and wanting to create music to doing, uh, uh, music for film and television? Well, I loved the idea of writing for pictures. When I, I studied at Music College, I, I went and studied at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama uh, in London. And the great thing about that was, was that they had a drama department as well mm. as a music department. So for somebody who wanted to write for film and TV, that was great because they put on plays and musicals and all that sort of stuff. And I was able to write music for their plays. And I also was musical director for some of their musicals. And it was a great way of interacting with actors and, you know, the drama side of right. the profession. And that's what I did. And when I left college, um, my husband, no, my now husband was also at the same college on the drama course. Mm. And we formed a little band together and we did functions and played for weddings and parties and all that sort of stuff for a couple of years while I was trying to get work, you know, in the, in the business. And then eventually, um, one director just took a chance and said, well, you know, why don't you, I, I had a meeting with the director about a film that he was making uh, for Channel 4 in London, and he hadn't worked with the composer before. He liked the stuff on my showreel. I had a kind of showreel of music that I'd written when I was at college. And he gave me a chance. And it was amazing because that's exactly what you need. You need somebody right. when you're starting out to give you a break, to give you mm -hmm. your first gig. It's the hardest thing in the world because you haven't got a load of credits. So yeah. it really takes somebody brave enough to think, okay, I'll give this person a try and see how it works out. And luckily, it, I managed to write the score that he was looking for. And then he went on to do quite a few other projects with the same company, took me along. And before I knew it, you know, a couple of years down the track, I had a few, I got a few credits now. And then suddenly, you know, things start to develop from there slowly. It took a long, long time, but slowly started to develop. And I found I was writing more and more for film and TV and was able to not play, not play in the band anymore. And we were able to dedicate um, time to just writing music. Uh, and it took a long, long time to do. Yeah. It certainly didn't happen overnight, but it was, it was really just, 
wonderful for somebody to be able to take a chance on somebody who's just starting out. And I, I always say that to people who ask me now, you know, how do you get your first gig? I, I, you just have to keep at it and be yeah. really tenacious and keep knocking on those doors. And eventually one of those doors will open and somebody will give you a chance, but you have to keep, you have to keep being, you know, persistent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's, it is, it's double sided because there, there will be those people, hopefully, that want to give people breaks and get them into the, the field of whatever, whatever it is. But also, you also have to keep going in order to find it. So that's exactly, <laughs> exactly. You have to keep going. And there is a lot of rejection in this business. You know, yeah. people say no a lot of the time. And you have to get used to people saying no and, and not taking it personally because it's not personal. It's just that you're not right at that particular time and sure. for that particular project. And, uh, there will be a time when you are right, but it's just a case of keeping going, um, being persistent and tenacious and eventually a door will open. Yeah. Well, talking about, uh, some of the, different projects you've done like Wolf Hall, which is a, a fantastic series. One thing that I, I noticed uh, immediately about how your, your music fits in is that it's oftentimes it often serves as transitional to, to what you're, you're seeing like the, cause most of the, the, the drama is there on screen. You know, the, the dialogue is so important, but there's almost never music while people are speaking. And then it'll transition and your music will come in. And so you're always focused on those characters and in, in that world. And that's such an interesting style, I, I guess you can say. Uh, was that a cool project to, to be a part of? Yeah, Wolf Hall was, was um, a very special project. Peter Kosminski, the director, I've worked with many times before. I think it was our sixth or seventh collaboration. So there's a, you know, a lovely understanding of how we work together. And he likes to hear the music just on piano to start with. I came up with Thomas Cromwell's theme and Anne Boleyn's theme based on the script before I, mm. before he shot a frame of the, um, series. And he took those themes, my demos that I did on set with him. He, he, he was playing it while he was shooting the film, which was wonderful. And then when I saw the first cut of episode one, his first assembly, um, he had used the demos in the opening sequence and it, it changed hardly at all from that mm. first moment that I gave him, which was incredible because we were able to spend some time on working out what the themes were before you get into the actual kind of slightly more rushed process of, okay, we've got to get this music written orchestrated and we've got to get in the studio in six weeks or whatever. Right. We had quite a lot of preparation time before that moment. And that was really, really helpful. I mean, the idea of, of not, there were moments where we scored, where we underscored dialogue, but um, it was quite subtle and played around the dialogue. And I think the spotting, you know, where you decide where the music starts and finishes in a film is very important. And certainly with Peter, we spend a lot of time thinking about these moments. Does, does the music have a real purpose in this scene? And if so, what is it? You know, yeah. it's no good it just being there to, um, you know, like wallpaper, you know, to fill a gap. That's not what music can do in film. It's there to add a sort of subtext, to add something that isn't already there, add another dimension to the scene. And that's what we always think about. What can it actually 
do? What can the music say that you can't already see on screen, that the actors aren't already delivering? And if you can find what that is, and then the music can do that, then there's a very good reason for scoring that scene. And so we have these discussions, and they're quite in-depth discussions. And at that point, we make those choices. And, you know, Peter's very... Um, musical and he loves the whole scoring process so it's a fantastic mm. way of working because you know if you're working with a director who just loves music and wants to let the music do its thing you know play its part in the series yeah. that's a great gift for a composer it yeah. really is it really helps so I think it was important and we enjoyed it and we had a great time writing and creating the score you know, there were some elements of Tudor music in there. I used a, a little bit of period instrumentation, like a recorder and a harpsichord and a fiorbo, which is like a giant lute and mm. instruments like that. But actually, a lot of the score, other than the occasional moments where we use those instruments, was quite contemporary. And I used a string quintet and oboe and cor anglais. And the idea was to make the music feel... In the present, now, you know, these right. characters, even though they were in the past, they felt that they were in the present. You know, we were mm. looking at them, their stories were happening now, in, in our time. And that was the, the clever thing about the way Peter shot it as well, was that he shot it not through some sort of like a stained glass window effect. It was shot very much as we were watching it now, you know, this was happening now to these characters yeah. and you felt like you were there in the moment with them. Mm -hmm. And that was really, really important and a really important part of its success, I think. Yeah. And yeah, and it's great because, uh, you know, your music will, will have its place and then there are, and there will be scenes where people will be speaking and you'll just hear the, the crackling of the fire, you know, or, or, or some kind of great sound design, and so you're, as you just said, you're, you're within that moment and you're just, you're seeing it and, and living it as they are. So, exactly. And I uh, think, you know, the, the, the use of silence, the use of quietness in, in the series was good as well. You know, there wasn't, the music wasn't, um, as I say, used as in any way as wallpaper. It was there for, to serve a purpose. And when it couldn't serve a purpose, it, there wasn't music, you know, there was mm. opportunity for silence. And in a way, that makes the music more powerful when it is used. Because if you have music from beginning to end in a film without any break, um, it loses its impact. It loses its dramatic impact. And mm. the point of scoring a film is, is for the music to be able to contribute. And it can contribute best when it really knows what it's doing and what it's yeah. there for. And, uh, in terms of you getting started on a on a project like this, is it typical for you to like get the script first and read that and then you start doing the music or does it kind of change every project? Are you sometimes seeing footage first or, or what's the how is it that you normally start getting on a, a project? Oh, it changes with every project. There's no rule. There's no kind of right or wrong. With mm. Peter, I start very early. With Wolf Hall, as I say, I'd written a lot of the thematic material before he'd even shot any of the series. On a lot of other projects, um, for example, on a film I wrote some time ago called Wild, about Oscar mm. Wilde, mm -hmm. um, I was brought in so late in the day, right at the end of the film, 
it'd been edited and ready to go. And then I had three and a half weeks to write the music for that film right at the end of the whole process. So mm. I was thrown in right at the end. And it's everything in between that. You know, you can be built, you can be brought on at the beginning. I mean, you mentioned Shakespeare in Hathaway and Father Brown and those TV series. Um, I do read the scripts on those and then I, but I don't actually start writing the score until I see a first assembly, a first mm. cut of it. And then I start scoring it. So it varies hugely. For me, I like to start as early on as possible because then you've got a bit more experimentation time and you can try things out. And, you know, a lot of the time it is your first idea that works, but some of the time, it isn't. And you really need to experiment. I just finished working on a movie called To Olivia, mm. which is a film starring Hugh Bonneville as Raoul Dahl. Oh, and cool. Keely Hawes plays um, Patricia Neal. And it's about Raoul's life um, as he was writing Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. And um, it needed a theme for his daughter, Olivia. The film's called To Olivia. It's about his daughter and the tragedy that... that um, that happened when he lost his daughter. Right. And I had to come up with Olivia's theme. And I watched the film over and over again with the director, John Hay. And for the first couple of weeks, I tried out various different ideas on him and nothing was working, absolutely nothing. And John was very patient with me and, you know, just kind of let me get on with it. And I was trying out all different ideas and I knew nothing was really sitting quite right with it. And I loved this film, you know, it was really speaking to me, but I couldn't come up with this idea. And then eventually, one night, very, very late in the evening, I'd had a chat with John. I went to the piano and I managed to find a theme which I thought was going to work for Olivia. And I called him up and it was really quite late at night. And I said, look, I'm really sorry I'm calling so late, but I think, I think, what do you think about this? And I played him the theme over the phone. And I just knew from his reaction, because he was really positive about it, that it was going to work and he was happy with it and we had something to work on but I needed to know you know I needed that kind of feedback and that positive yeah. rea reaction and he gave me that and I knew and then after that it kind of flowed really naturally but it took a long time to come up with that theme so it doesn't always happen overnight and you have to be sometimes a little bit patient and persistent yeah and uh it, it is nice to to hear about a a partnership like that that there is that trial and error, but it's not like a, you know, just constantly butting heads. It's more of a collaborative, you know, give and take and trying to figure out what's what's best. That's right. And not not getting into a, a panic about it, but just thinking, OK, we're trying things out. Mm. Eventually something clicks. It always mm. does. But you have to um, sometimes go through the pain of it not clicking and that can be quite difficult because you're struggling to find something and you really want to find something that sits perfectly with what you're seeing on screen and feels natural and seamless and, and effortless. And of course, things that feel natural and seamless and effortless often aren't. You know, the fact that yeah. they feel natural um, is because you've worked very hard at, at making it feel natural. So it, it's, yeah. it's, you know, it can be sometimes a struggle, but you, you have to just keep at it and hope that something's going to click. And, and generally it does. Generally it does, but it can take some time. Yeah. Uh, well, with a, a show like Father Brown that's been going many years now, and I mean, that that kind of show, it's like you, you can't wait to disappear into that into that world. And you're so glad to be with those characters again, you know, from season to season. Yeah. 
is it i i mean what's the process of of making uh music from uh, you know as more and more seasons go on is it still i don't know what the right word would be i mean is it just as fresh having a new kind of canvas to paint on yeah i mean funnily enough with father brown it is it absolutely is because we would have had we not had this um this lockdown we would have been recording the 100th episode of the series mm. So we've got to 90 and this year, hopefully we will get to a hundred. Yeah. But within each episode, what's great, although I have my main themes, I have Father Brown's theme, I have Mrs. McCarthy's theme, Lady Felicia's theme. I've got these characters themes, which are well um, used throughout each of the episodes. In Father Brown, what happens is every episode, there's a new story, a new, a new, a new murder, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a very dangerous place living in Kemble yeah. because somebody kind of, you know, generally gets murdered. Um, so there's guest characters coming in. Um, there's different locations. It might be shot in a house, a haunted house, or it might be in a fairground or whatever. So there's all these different ins- inspiring musical tricks that I can use. And I absolutely love it because I can twist and turn the themes to make them suit the different episodes. Every episode's written and scored uh, from scratch. Right. So there's, you know, every everything's scored to picture. Um, every episode is is written with a new piece of manuscript paper and off I go, you know, it, mm. it's... <laughs> And that's the real thrill of it. So you never, you, you know, you, it'll always be fresh because there's always so much in each episode that's going to inspire something new, as well as having a lot of already existing themes for the main characters, which I, I, I play around with, you know, I, right. I use them in different ways. And sometimes it's quite fun, especially with Father Brown. If there's a, if there's a character that you think is the murderer or you think is the bad guy, mm-hmm. I can musically send the audience down the wrong road you know i can Mm. put in some musical red herrings i can write something really sweet and lovely for this character that we think is the bad guy and you sort of believe the music you know if the music is telling you this is not um the baddie this is somebody we should be sympathetic to you sort of believe the music so you can use the music in these murder mysteries in a very interesting way and sometimes just just put some red herrings in front of the audience and it's good fun it's really good fun yeah, I mean, it seems like it, it would be because it offers so much kind of endless opportunity because you can you could, you know, one episode you, you could say, oh, no, I'm going to kind of, as you said, kind of lay out uh, red herrings. But otherwise, you could maybe lead them in, in this direction or that direction. So that I think that would be such a cool uh, creative uh, process. Yeah, it really is. And you can enjoy doing that because Father Brown's got a kind of you know, it's got a lightness and humor and mm. there's great camaraderie between the characters. It's, it's warm and, you know, there's obviously the period setting as well. So there's lots to inspire the music. And, and we have a great producer called Will Trotter who really values the music in the show. And we have a 25 piece orchestra for each episode. So mm. there's a lots of color that can be used in the scoring with the woodwind and the brass and the percussion and the strings. And I use vibraphone for, for Father Brown's sleuthing theme. <laughs> and so there's, you know, I have a, I have a big palette, musical palette to work with. And that's really, you know, I'm hugely grateful to that, for that, because it doesn't, it doesn't always happen. And it's lovely to be able to use that. And it adds so much to um 
to the score, you know, to have live musicians, real musicians. Yeah. And I write for them. You know, I know, I know who's going to be playing the flute, who's going to be playing the, the cello. And I write for these musicians and, and it's a, you know, it's a subconscious thing. The audience wouldn't know that, but it adds a lot to the performance and the style and the character of the music. And it's very subconscious, but it plays yeah. well with Father Brown and, and it, it does sit very well with, with him. And I've been told that Mark Williams, who plays Father Brown now, when, when he's, um, you know, playing out a sleuthing scene or, you know, he, you know, the cogs are whirring like mm. he does when he's trying to figure out the murder. He sort of hears the music that's going to be going alongside <laughs> him now because he's been doing it for so many, so many series. So he kind of hears his sleuthing theme as he's doing it. And he, he gives me a lot as well to work with. He kind of just raises his eyebrow or he, mm. you can see his mind working and working out who's done the murder. And that helps me as well when I'm writing the score because I can use that musically. Yeah. And I had heard from uh, someone a while back that they almost, thought of composers as almost like psychologists for a story, because as you were just talking about, like, you know, kind of getting into the head of, of father Brown or, you know, in, in Wolf Hall, you know, characters like Henry the eighth or, or whoever it may be. Is that kind of a, is that a, at all how you, f you feel? I mean, maybe not by that term necessarily, but kind of getting into the mind of those characters to create the rest of the world. It's exactly that. You have to try and get under the skin of the characters and let them mm. speak to you. And that's the idea of, you know, adding something that isn't already there. You know, they, they, usually these, these actors are giving you a wonderful performance and you just need to subtly, um, add something alongside it that's going to create even more drama, even more yeah. action, tension, love, romance, whatever it is. And that's what the music can do. And it does it in a very subtle way that doesn't, you don't ever want to over sentimentalize what's on screen or push the audience too far in one direction. But you, you want to be able to allow the music to enhance what's on screen. And that's the main, that's its main job. Just to, um, create something that's so unique and so perfect for that scene and that series or that movie that the two can never be apart. Mm -hmm. You feel when you hear the music that could only be Father Brown or that could only be Wolf Hall or whatever. You want right. to write something that is so um, perfect for that particular production that the two could never be parted. And, you know, you feel that when you hear great, great film scores, you know, if you listen to Jaws or, you know, E.T., those, those movies, those soundtracks could never be separated now. Mm -hmm. And it, it's the art of scoring. If you can create something that feels absolutely perfect, sits comfortably with the film so that the two feel seamless, then you've done your job really well. Yeah. And I, I think that really speaks to how what we were talking about earlier with music bringing back, uh, you know, a memory or a feeling, you know, like with the, with, with Jaws, you know, as soon as that, as soon as you hear that theme, you know exactly what scene you're in or, or what's going to happen. And so, yeah, that's exactly just a couple yeah. of notes, you know, a couple mm -hmm. of, uh, just a phrase, uh, um, it can be anything, um, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be complicated. I mean, simplicity is very important in film scoring, finding something that is beautifully simple, but it goes to the heart of the emotion and that's uh that's really key yeah 
And uh, one project I, I wanted to touch on quickly is Land Girls, the the the, the World War Two series, because I I really enjoyed that series because I have such a a fascination with World War Two history, and I feel like even now there are so many new stories coming out that are it's just an endless it's just vacuum uh, of interesting stories and and you know heroic acts was how well how did that project come about for you well it came about um through the bbc um and working with them on various different projects and i yeah. wrote a theme that i wanted to sound almost like it was a song of the period you know like it could have been a world war um, mm. to song. It could have been a song of yeah. the period. Uh, and it was very simple. And I almost was singing it along to myself, you know, with the lyrics. That's how yeah. I wrote it, as if it could have been a song of the time. And um, I played it to the team and they were really, really happy to go with it, which was great. And eventually in one series, as it happened, we did turn it into a song. I think it was series three. Mm. Don Black, the great lyricist, put some lyrics to it. And we did turn it into a song for that series for the credits, which was great because it finally sort of ended up being a song, which is how I imagined it. But there were some period songs during the series as well, proper, you know, traditional uh, characterful songs of the time. But the feeling of that score was to make it sound as if it could have been played at the time. You know, it could have been part of that period. Um, but also followed the drama. There were themes for characters. There were themes for, for, for the love and the romance and the action. Um, and it, it was a really lovely series to score. Absolutely delightful. And again, you know, we had a lovely orchestra for that. Um, lots of colors to use in the music. Yeah. So it was great fun. Yeah. And with you having done so many different, uh, kinds of, of television and film, is is that kind of that variety something that really intrigues you being able to kind of change it up so frequently? Yeah, it's it's really exciting to go from say a costume drama to a horror film or an action film or a crime thriller or a murder mystery because you sort of stay fresh and it allows you not to repeat yourself or be tempted to repeat yourself because <laughs> you have a new inspiration. Mm. And that's great, you know, to be able to look at something and feel, oh, I can write something that I haven't written before, or I can come up with something that I would never have thought I could have done, you know. And that's, that's really, that's really wonderful. And it's, it's great to be able to challenge yourself, you know, and for people to trust you to write something different. You know, it's lovely when, when somebody says to me, Oh, you know, I liked your music on whatever. It might have been a costume drama or a, a comedy or something. But this isn't that, you know, it's something, something dark. It's something mysterious. And you're allowed to write because, you know, as a composer, writing in one style is not as exciting as being able to explore the whole world of music right. and that's everything that's mystery that's darkness that's magic that's you know it's everything you want to be able to explore the whole world of music and also try different things out it's wonderful to be able to experiment and that's what was great about wolf hall you know even though it was set in, in tudor times and that was the inspiration i was able to experiment with instruments i hadn't written before written for before like the lute and the harpsichord mm -hmm. and the recorder and all these instruments that 
I wouldn't have ever dreamt of writing for, but it allowed me to experiment with those instruments because of what it was. And sometimes when you're working on something very contemporary and modern, there are no rules. You know, you can write for anything. You can have an electronic sample that does something weird and wonderful, or you can create something from your own imagination. You know, there are no rules with music and especially with film music. Um, you can, you can be as imaginative and as crazy and as, you know, (laughs) have as much fun as you like within the the realms of what you're working on you know as, as long as it works with the picture you can kind of do whatever you like which is the, the great thrill of it yeah uh and w- with you having done whether it's one of the ones we've talked about or are there any in particular that that stand out it doesn't have to be your favorite necessarily but are there any that looking back that are ones that really did impact you or ones that you hold close whether it's the because of the process itself of making the music or perhaps the content of the, the the film or TV show? Are there any that stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, there are lots and it oh, is really yeah. hard to, to yeah. just, just just one or two. <laughs> I mean, Wild, because it was the film that I wrote in the shortest space of time. Mm. <laughs> so three and a half weeks to write about 75 minutes of orchestral music was definitely the record holder. Mm. <laughs> so that wins, that wins, the, that's wins the gold medal for that. Um, but there were loads of other, fa- I mean, I did a movie with the great director Lewis Gilbert called Haunted, which was very mm. special working with Lewis. Um, all the projects with Peter Kosminski have been great. The projects with Will Trotter, Father Brown, Shakespeare and Hathaway for the BBC. Yeah. Um, I did a, a French film called Arsène Lupin, which you probably haven't come across, but it was, again, it was a sort of action thriller, had, over two hours of music in starred Kristen Scott Thomas. And it was a movie written with the director, um, Jean-Paul Salomé, who didn't speak English. I didn't speak very good French. And we communicated, you know, through music. And that was right. great for that as well. You know, it's sort of what I was saying about, about it being this universal language. You can, you know, working on a foreign film uh, with a French director who didn't speak great English and I didn't speak great French, but we communicated through music. Mm. And that was special because of that as well. So there have been really, you know, loads of different projects. I did a film recently called Edie with yeah. the director Simon Hunter. Mm-hmm. And that was fantastic. I'd worked with Simon before on a horror film called Lighthouse. Edie was exactly the opposite <laughs> kind of film. It was a, 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 fan, a real passion project of Simon's. And it was... You know, what was great about that was being given this gorgeous film, lots of space for music. I previously worked with Simon on a horror film, and here was something that was romantic and lyrical and upbeat and inspiring and all those things. And being able to write something completely different for him. So Mm. it's, you know, kind of what you said about being able to, the variety of, of writing for film is so, so exciting. Yeah. And, and even just, you know, being a a listener, it is, so interesting with with music, especially with how everything is now and people being isolated. And uh, as you were talking ab- about with uh, the director is sharing music one way or the other. It can speak so much to uh, to two people who have never met, you know, or, or you know, or maybe not talk much in person. Like, I, you know, I, I share music with with friends and family and then they share it back. And it's like a just a, an immediate connection. And yeah. and also what can be interesting is the two of you can have completely different 
interpretations of it as well. It could perhaps be a happy memory for someone or perhaps a sad one for another. And yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. And music is very personal. You know, we've all got our yeah. own personal playlists, things that we love. We all, we all have our personal favorites. Um, and that's interesting working with directors as well, because they have their own personal likes and dislikes. And mm-hmm. you have to get inside the mind of a director and understand what it is that they, what their vision of the film is and what they are imagining it um, to be both musically and just on screen, you have to kind of interpret it musically without talking about music in necessarily crotchets and quavers, you know, right. and the sort of technical stuff. We're talking about the emotion behind the scene. And that's very important too, being able to discuss music with somebody else. And that's what I love about writing for film is that you do have this feedback and collaboration with other people. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's quite a lonely job being a composer. You know, you're sat at <laughs> yeah. the piano or sat at your keyboard or whatever on your own writing away and, and, and it, it can be quite solitary. So the idea that you're working with others, a team and being part of a team really appeals to me because you do get feedback and you do get instant responses. You know, when I called John Hay up on, on the night when I felt like I'd got this theme for two Olivia and I called him up, I got an instant reaction and I knew that that was going to allow the, the score to flow. And that's, that's, you know, that's great. It's lovely to be able to work with others. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, D- Debbie, I mean, it's so nice to, to chat with you. And um, is there anything else in particular that I haven't touched on that you'd like to have known? I know you, you brought up uh, to Olivia, but is there anything else that I haven't touched on? I don't want to leave anything unsaid. It's OK. Uh, <laughs> well, that's really kind of I mean, it's lovely. Um, I'm, I, I don't know if you have um, a station or if you can get Classic FM. Where, where are you based? Henry? I'm in North Carolina. You're in North Carolina. OK. Well, there's a, there's a classical radio station in, in the UK called Classic FM. Mm-hmm. And I'm currently their composer in residence. And one of the lovely things that I get to do being their composer in residence is write occasional albums for them. Oh, cool. And I've done, I've done two, two now. One was called The Musical Zodiac and one was called The Glorious Garden. And, um, they were orchestral albums and they were writing music without pictures. You know, this is standalone mm. orchestral music. And the musical Zodiac was inspired by the signs of the Zodiac, the 12 signs of the Zodiac. And the Glorious Garden was inspired by 12 plants and flowers, which were written by a gardener, a great, a well-known gardener in the UK called Alan Titchmarsh. And he wrote me poems, which were inspiring things like myrtle and snowdrop and, and right. peony and, and, you know, all these lovely, inspiring flowers and plants. And I wrote music to accompany them. And then I did another album called The Mythos Suite with Stephen Fry, mm. who is, um, who has written lots and lots of books about the Greek myths. And I set those to music. So these projects that are non, non filmic, but lovely standalone projects have been great. And I've been working on these for the past sort of two or three years, writing these different albums. So they've been oh. great fun as well. Oh, but, cool. um, yeah, that's, that's something that. I've really, really enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would think so. <laughs> it sounds really <laughs> exciting, but yeah, well, uh, Debbie, thank you so much again. I, it was so nice chatting with you and you're welcome back whenever you would like. If you know, another project comes around, would love to get you back on sometime. And Oh, that's great. Thank you yeah. for inviting me, Henry. It's really great to join you. And I hope yeah. you all, you know, are you managing okay where you are? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, 
you know, COVID and, and everything is pretty severe here, but thankfully the, the area I'm in and the community that I'm surrounded by is pretty, uh, you know, on, on the dot, you know, taking things seriously as, as they should. And so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> making the making the best of it, <laughs> making the best of it. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly uh, what we're doing. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time.